Hello and welcome to the Let's Talk Leadership podcast. So this week we've got the fantastic Christoph Helmis, who is the Chief Product Officer at McMacla. So McMacla, um, Christoph has over 20 years of experience in technology management and product development, working with well-known companies such as Nokia, Here Technologies, BCG Group, as well as Gate5, a navigation startup that was later bought by Nokia. He's recently moved into a CPO role with McMuckler, who are a Berlin-based prop tech startup. So we cannot wait to have you on the show today and find out about your story. How are you doing, Christoph? I'm doing very well. Yeah. Good, good. And I'm Sandra. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you I'm too. really looking forward to finding out more about you and sharing all your years of wisdom and experience with our listeners and viewers today. <laughs> Um, fantastic. So um, I usually open the show with a nice open question to find out a bit more about you, your background, um, how it all started in your own words, um, you know, from a young age, how you got to, to where you are today. If you just give us a quick little kind of tour of, of your journey, that would be fantastic. OK, good. Yeah. So let me try to explain my story so far. Uh, always been highly interested in tech and science. Uh, when I grew up, computers started to become available. So I worked on a Texas Instruments 59 with magnetic card reader to program my first little programs when I was 14. <laughs> then the, the, the famous Commodore C64 basic Pascal assembler did all of that when I was uh, a teen. And then I started uh, engineering education, went to university for electrical engineering, uh, but quickly discovered it's not pure engineering that I'm after. I always mm -hmm. wanted to understand how things really happen. I was interested in business and, and outcomes and how to move things forward, not purely in the technical aspects. So this is when I graduated, I looked into a multiple career path and ended up getting an offer with a management consultancy, which I found extremely interesting because it was analyzing a problem, having the economic aspects, sometimes a little bit technical as well, and being able to find a solution, implement it and see the results. So I stayed six years in management consulting with BCG, Boston Consulting Group, uh, worked in high tech mm -hmm. and telecoms, did a number of very interesting uh, cases. It was a deregulation of the telecoms market in Germany, which we which we supported with our clients. Mergers and acquisition strategy for a software uh, operating system provider, etc. Uh, but after six years, I mean, consulting, I, I felt like this is enough. Also, you know, internet came. Uh, by the way, I, I got my first email address in 93. The only problem was none of my colleagues and friends had email. So it's pretty lonely if you're the only one with an email address at that at the time. Internet was just starting slowly. So oh, the internet uh, came at full force. Yes. Hello. Hi. Sorry. I don't know whether it was your internet or our internet. I, that was oh, I, I, can't, I can't say. When did you lose me? Ooh, about 30 seconds ago hold on let me just ours seems fine but um since we've got quite a strong favor on our other wi-fi just in case have you got full full connection i have i have full connection yes i'm on a wi-fi yeah. here had several calls today already also video so hopefully we won't have any issues. We've just swapped over. Are you able to go back where you were? You were just saying that you, when you left um, 
management consultancy, I think that's probably a good place. Yeah. Your yeah. next move on to that would probably be a good place. Hopefully we yeah. can go back. So <laughs> after six years, uh, I left consultancy, done enough of this, uh, founded a small boutique consultancy with uh, a few colleagues and friends. Yeah. Uh, but we're not only consulting, we were investing. We were managing investments from wealthy private individuals. So it was a little bit of incubation VC type of role. Yeah. Yeah. Around when, you know, the, the new market and the internet bubble uh, mm-hmm. was in full, full force. Then the bubble bursts, uh, <laughs> uh, the market crashed. Uh, our business was still okay, but we were back to consulting. No longer yeah. investment. Nobody had money. Everybody was licking their wounds. Uh, and so I decided then I got, I got really excited about uh, about software technology and startup and I joined a startup. So I left a little bit of our own business. We scaled it down and I moved on and joined a startup in Berlin. Uh, crazy. Uh, the founders were from uh, from the hacker community, Chaos Computer Club. It's very famous in German. They're doing a lot of good stuff, uh, very prominent. Uh, and these guys were very active very tech driven, no business sense. Uh, so I joined this, the leadership team of this company. And for six years, we built this into a software business. We were nearly bankrupt three times. I mean, it was, it was ups wow. and downs, the, the, the full startup life. Very stressful. Uh, very stressful, learned awful lot. Uh, we finally turned into a, into a profitable software business for mapping, navigation, location-based services. On smartphones, uh, we uh, worked with Nokia, uh, want to pitch, uh, we're working on their global mapping solution. Mm-hmm. And then they decided to buy us because they said, we can't rely on a small startup. We need this competence in out. So Nokia in 2006, uh, 65, yeah. uh, 65 people start up here in Berlin. Uh, we were very happy, but suddenly from 65 people to probably 30,000 or something, global company, mm-hmm. lots of processes, very big. Uh, but we managed uh, to fight our way in, so to speak. Uh, finally, our technology and solution was rolled out on every Nokia smartphone. It was called Nokia Maps, then later Ovi Maps. So made the whole ups and downs of Nokia, uh, the rise and the fall, uh, uh, lift to that. Then Nokia had to sell its whole phone business to Microsoft. Uh, we were experiencing that. And suddenly we were a small company, uh, part of Nokia, but not really fitting very well. So 2014, when Nokia needed money to buy Alcatel Lucent, uh, we were put for sale. And then three German car companies, Audi, BMW, and uh, Mercedes bought uh, what was then called here, here technologies, because yeah. of the mapping and the location-based services for the vehicles. Mm-hmm. So this was quite interesting, being a private company, suddenly again, uh, selling technology and services. And this continues until, you know, I was so long in the business from a startup to Nokia to the private company. Uh, I decided it was time to move on, do something else. And then I joined McMarkler, who's a property tech uh, startup in Berlin, uh, where I'm running uh, as a chief product officer, our digital product portfolio. Fantastic. What interesting and turbulent journey that sounds like. (laughs) (laughs) And it was. (laughs) Fantastic. Um, (laughs) What um I'm I'm probably gonna I'm I'm I'd like to understand a little bit more about your current role and and the situation there, but I think before we jump into that, it'd be really great to understand um in a little bit more detail what um one kind of learning or experience you learned throughout that that you think that others that are you know at that stage where they're 
scaling up, starting businesses, looking at mergers, acquisitions, etc. What bit of advice do you think that you could give them that you really learned throughout your journey? Oh, uh, that's a tough question because mm-hmm. a, the journey was long and there were so, so many, so many, sure. uh, so many learning. But I think one thing which, uh, which I learned in my uh, pro- professional tech career, things tend to play out very differently than you think. I mean, I've, I've seen so many things that happened that were unexpected. Us being bought by Nokia when we were a startup. Nokia, the number one mobile phone manufacturer in the world, going mm-hmm. down losing out to the apples and the Googles of the yeah. world being sold. I mean, it, it, you can plan, but then reality very often plays a very, very different uh, tune. So be prepared for that. Mm-hmm. I think you need to have a vision where you want to go. That's important. Uh, a vision that, that carries you beyond, beyond a long-term goal that helps you as a North Star. But then, you know, all the plans you make that are longer than, I would say, 12 months are just, you know, indicative because reality uh, will tell you a very It'll different... always pan out that way. I've seen, uh, I've seen so many roadmaps of companies I've been with or that work with us, and most of them tend to be uh, play out very differently in, in, in mm. reality. So prepare for that. Mm. What really matters is what happens the next three to six months. That's what you need to focus on. Continuous movement, move, 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 learn fast, be agile. I think that's that's the major advice mm. that I can give to anyone. Yeah, fantastic. I know because we we used to look at like three year plans and and it's just it's so difficult sometimes. And now we kind of just look at the vision for the next six to twelve months. And like well, say, people used to tell us to look at three year. Yeah, plans. we never spent that much time We're doing not very it. Good planners. But we kept <laughs> intending on doing it. But like you say, particularly this year, it's the biggest spanner in the works we've ever had for, yeah. from a business yeah. perspective. I think everyone has. Yes. Yeah. Would yeah, have been a waste definitely. of a de- strategy, Jay, sitting there planning out the next twelve months because no one expected things. <laughs> <laughs> So let's um, understand a little bit more about your current position as CPO. Um, so your CPO at McMarkler. Yes, that's it. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, what's um, what are your main kind of I guess challenges in your current role, and um, you know what what's what how's that kind of panned out for you, and what learnings and experiences can you share with our viewers and listeners? Sure, McMarkler is a property tech. Uh, company. Uh, It was started roughly five years ago, so it's a relatively young company. But I wouldn't say it's a startup. It's a fast-growing company. Our business is doing fairly well, Uh, even during the pandemic, of course. uh, We were affected, but but business is back uh, to normal for us. Um, And and the approach of McMarkler is a little bit unique in the sense that we're, we're what we call a hybrid play. We're not only digital or we're not only in the offline world, we're combining both. So we have brokers that are on the ground that help our customers selling their property in the various different forms. And we're trying to digitize uh, the whole process to make it very easy. So we gain an understanding of the market, of the properties, how well certain uh, properties will sell, in what time frame, for what price, and try to facilitate the whole process to make it very easy for the seller and the buyer. So the ultimate, uh, the ultimate goal and vision is to become a leading property technology platform in the industry in Germany, and we're advancing fairly well. 
And my role in that company, and this is why I joined, is to drive our uh, roadmap for the digital products that, that we're building. Uh, as mm -hmm. said, the digitization plays an increasing role in this, maybe in Germany, rather old-fashioned industry of, of brokerage and real estate uh, selling and buying. And, you know, working, working with the real customers out there, working with real uh, properties, enabling the cell, seeing how technology, machine learning, AI can facilitate and make it more efficient and better uh, and easier for buyer and seller. I think that's, mm -hmm. that's what it's about. And owning the digital roadmap, that's, that's what I do uh, for McMichael. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. So how many P a CPA? How, how many people are you responsible for at the moment? Uh, actually, my team is rather small at the moment. So it's, it's roughly 10 people. Okay. And I'm, I'm, I'm very happy. At, at, in my career, there was a point where I had 1,000 people reporting into me. I was going to ask you that. How, how yeah. many people? Teams have got 2,000 then? 1,000. I had you know, a lot of platform development, all the cloud operations, uh, and many many services and is that a Nokia? Uh, that that was while at uh, at Nokia. Yeah. Imagine uh, having a team of ten is like oh, taking a walk in the park. That's <laughs> a dream. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, it's easier to to uh, get to know everyone and be yeah. in contact and interaction. Although during the pandemic, I mean, we have a lot of working from home, so it's uh, the socializing aspect. It, it's it's much less. But you know, if you run a thousand people across the globe, I had teams in the U.S. on the West Coast, on the East Coast. Uh, uh, in Northern Europe, in Finland, uh, in, in, I think in Romania, I think even in India, I had a few people. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's impossible to get to know them all. Yeah. And you need to have a great team that, that, that manages that. Um, yeah, definitely. That Let's talk about your leadership style then. Ultimately, it's a leadership podcast. So, so how would you describe yourself as a leader? Um, and how would your teams describe you? Uh, I think... I, I guess my teams would be describing me as a collaborative reader, very mm -hmm. sharing a lot of information. Uh, I, I tend to share more and more information. I believe a well-informed team is more effective in what it's yeah. doing. I try to provide them insights and perspectives about things that are happening in the company, in the market that I see that might be relevant, but the, the, the team members may not see. I try that that the individuals in the team develop themselves, uh, define their objectives, their goals, and I see myself as a supporter for them to achieve uh, the goals we jointly we jointly uh, define. Mm -hmm. Brilliant. Um, I'd love to hear that in your experience in product. I think a lot of the time we do our most most of our learnings is is when we incur sort of failure or big challenges or unexpected problems and like you said you can never know what roadmap and what's going to happen along the way in your journey but 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 you do learn a lot from the mistakes that we've made so it'd be interesting to find out about one I guess professional um project failure or something that happened that that really um, made you think and reconsider your actions moving forward and your approach moving forward yeah, there. Obviously, I mean, you make you make several decisions as you go, which which might not lead to ideal result. But I remember one thing, which which I always think back a little bit, and what would have happened if if decisions would have done in a different way. And this was 
uh, I would say, as it turns out, in hindsight, a major decision we took at one point for our technology stack were for a little bit of slower moving automotive world. We have we had a very well established uh, technology stack to serve our automotive customer with our products and service. And then we were debating whether we build a faster moving, faster cycling technology stack with a lot of services and products on top for the non-automotive, particularly for consumer, for mobile, for internet. Mm. And uh, it was a, a very executive decision in our leadership team, de- very hotly debated. And uh, we made the decision not to do a, to build a separate stack for uh, for the, the at that time the fast moving internet and consumer business, and I think in hindsight this was uh, I think a wrong decision, because strategically it put the it put the company in a weaker spot than than uh, uh, than if it would have decided otherwise. Of course I can't prove that, but I'm pretty convinced that uh, that all the delays that we faced because we tried to harmonize everything into one, instead of moving fast forward with something newer. Uh, I think this cost us a lot of time and and also in the end, uh, a lot of money. And in hindsight, yeah, I, I think it was an executive decision. Uh, it was a compromise and I thought I should have fought harder for the for the for the what I considered the optimal solution, building something new and separate from the old world that was that was very well established. Yeah, cool, fantastic. And <laughs> um, I think it'd be interesting to um because obviously you've gone from having at some point a team of a thousand to manage um that have been all over the place obviously remote management different countries different time zones um you now have a, t- a smaller team of 10 and um, we've all had the pandemic um to deal with and um, be quite interesting to understand and, and know i guess how you've motivated your people um united your teams and any kind of any innovative ideas you've you've had or implemented or your teams some of your managers have implemented that will be really useful for our viewers and listeners to know about well um, i'm i'm sorry i might disappoint you there's not many innovative <laughs> ideas but i think there, there there's some basic principle that matters particular in, in in technology i think you'll find that most of the people who are working in technology and developing software engineers and others for them, success means seeing their stuff being relevant, doing something, being used by many customers, users, just making a difference. That's that's the best incentive uh, to keep people motivated. People like to have challenging goals uh, and objectives to achieve, try things out, learn new things. And the best thing is if people can see their their stuff, what they worked on, what they developed, what they created, being used, making an impact, making life for customers, users better, easier, more convenient. So that's that's I think the essence. If you're working in that uh, in that people business, because technology and particular software development, it's it's all about people. It's manual, right? People sitting there coding. It's not a robot who does this yet. We may end up one day <laughs> that all uh, most code is written by robots, but it isn't. It's individuals uh, who bring in their creativity and their ideas. So, motivating means making them clear what is the achievement that 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 you can do, whether it's yeah. providing a new application at the Nokia days, making it into a new model, 
uh, or you know when we served automotive customers finally showing up in the infotainment system in the dashboard of the car we can say look all these cars driving around they're using our stuff mm -hmm. that's the purpose that's what motivates people most and celebrate uh, accordingly and so celebrate those successes yeah and celebrate so, so that's very basic and i think hasn't changed uh, yeah. uh, hasn't changed a lot uh, and i think uh, you also need to give uh, the people enough creativity and freedom that they try things out, uh, particularly in software development. I haven't met a single developer that, that isn't doing stuff on the side, working an open source project. <laughs> yeah. That's how things are. And that's where they, they, they gain their energy, their creativity, and one has to support, uh, to be supportive in that. So the way how we try to motivate people is very simple, make them aware of what is about, try to bring the business side if possible and the development side together so they can A, see the people who might be using their product or, or bringing it into use, seeing how it works, getting, getting feedback, celebrating successes or sometimes failures and learn about it. Uh, and that's the yeah. best way to motivate people. They wanna, they, they wanna see and feel and touch what their work is about. That's that's the biggest, that's better mm -hmm. than any monetary or other other incentive uh, that that's that that will just mm -hmm. the picture. Fantastic. Some great points there. Um, you mentioned during that um, you were we were talking about developers and um, robots in the future. Um, one of um, one of my questions I've got down here and I, I quite like to ask is um, in your opinion, what do you think is the future of tech? Oh, that's yeah, that's a that's a very tough question. <laughs> but if you if you sometimes see technology has is enabling us to do amazing things. I mean, uh, the internet is around for roughly twenty years now, a little bit more, but it really took off twenty years ago, and all the the associated technologies uh, with it. So it's in everybody's hand. We're running around with computing yeah. power that is amazing in our smartphones, yet many day-to-day -day things in our daily life and just the industry I'm working in, selling a property is actually quite old fashioned still, right? So I think we're just at the, at the, at the dawn where technology really makes its inroads into, into our everyday life and start to really change our behavior, start to change the way how we live and interact. And this will come in many, in many, many forms. I think now the pandemic and the lockdown that we all experience, this is, it's an accelerator. It, it shows how future, more virtual, more digital work, also working-wise might look like. But I think, as always, the short-term impact of certain technologies, whether it's AI or many others like augmented reality and blockchain and what they're all the buzzwords that there are, mm -hmm. the short-term impact is very often vastly uh, overestimated and exaggerated. The long-term mm -hmm. impact is underestimated. And I think we're, we're just coming into the phase where after two decades of heavy technology push into everyone's life, I think we see slowly the long-term effects uh, starting starting to get into gear. So I think we'll all be much more digital. You know, our work-life balance will change a lot, the way how we interact. Um, I think aspects of sustainability and communication, they will change over time. They are changing. So these mm -hmm. are the areas where I think technology will, will enable us to do much greater things in the future. Mm -hmm. Fantastic, I agree. Um, <clears throat> interesting.
interesting question I'd like to find out more about is, is, is how you've attracted and retained talent. Um, the market is extremely competitive in Berlin and you've been involved in some pretty impressive scale-ups. Um, and um, so I'd love to know a little bit more about that, about how you attract the best talent in the market when it is so competitive and retaining it. Well, yeah, I mean, it's as said, uh, uh, talent, particularly in the tech space, is hard to attract and to maintain. But people, uh, you know, most good people I know are not in there for the money; they're in there for the purpose, for the task. So you need to offer them something that 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 interests them and challenges them, and give them yeah. the feeling they learn something and they they can achieve something. So when we were a startup and then later part of Nokia, whoever joined us would knew and they came because we're building you know location-based services and mapping for the world on hundreds of millions of smartphones or you know your product is being used and they get the positive and the negative feedback so i think uh for a lot of people this was very uh, very attractive to to uh to build this and enable people to to live a better life by being able to navigate uh to navigate uh around it now in property tech, it's 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 probably more the data aspect. I think we're we're pretty much data driven. We try to uh, uh, use latest technology from microservices and and other technologies that help us build build better services faster. So that's what what people are interested to see. You know how technology can can transform a business, and that's that's how you attract talent. You attract them technical talent, showing them what you do, how you do it. Uh, what would be the challenge if they join and 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 then you know this is this is how you either convince them to join or not and quite frankly if people are not attracted they shouldn't join because it will not work out so it's a good filter actually uh, whether you can sell yourself the idea and what you're doing uh, in a way that attracts others yeah definitely um is there one book or training course around leadership that you would recommend to our listeners? I know there isn't one book. I <laughs> one of the best ones. What's, what's been the well, best I, one? I, I, I think you, you, one can take away. I, I was very impressed uh, reading books from Peter Drucker, you know, one of the early management gurus who wrote books already in the 70s and 80s. And if you read his books, I mean, you're... you're you're amazed how much applies still in today's world yeah. and is valid. And this was already, uh, I mean, they, they, then Clayton Christensen, The Innovator's Dilemma, you know, The Black Swan, uh, these books, they, they describe fundamental fundamental things in, in, in the industry, in the tech world we're, we're in. And I think they're very well. And so there's not the single book where I say this is the best, but uh, there's one, since you ask about courses, there's one course that, that I still remember uh, which I did during um, uh, during my MBA time, uh, which taught all of us a lesson. And it was a course uh, about negotiation and negotiation analysis, how to negotiate with someone. And the course was very interactive, a great professor at, at INSEAD in Fontainebleau in France. This is the MBA school, very international. And as part of the course, uh, also to get a good grade, you had to do negotiations with, with counterparts. And the setup was always to maximize conflict, also cultural conflict. So uh, uh, French would negotiate with Italians, Germans maybe with, uh, with Spanish, 
we had Israelis negotiating with people from the Arab world. I mean, extremely, you know, you'd say, wow, that, that's, that's cultural conflict. So yeah. cultural maximum cultural conflict. And the amazing thing was that, uh, you know, you were given the task, one-way negotiate, one-on-one or two, three-way negotiations, and you would need to come to a result and you need to hand it in whatever, Monday morning until 7, 7 a.m., put it in an envelope in the, in the mailbox. Um, and, and people were, sometimes people were negotiating days and nights, right? And they, they got crazy. And the interesting thing really that, that was in the end the lesson, 50% of your grade for this negotiation was the financial outcome. Whatever result you would achieve, it would be yeah. you know, put on a bell curve and then you would get whatever grade. The other 50%, in other words, equally important as your financial outcome would be the grade that your negotiation counterpart would give to you okay, after, wow. after the negotiation. Yeah. And this is what most people completely forgot, right? I mean, some people were trying to maximize the financial <laughs> outcomes. Thinking about the profit line. Thinking about the profit line, while equally important <laughs> for your grade, 50% was after the negotiation. How would your counterpart? And the lesson. So the relationship. The, the lesson the, the, the professor tried to teach us, negotiate always in a way that you can meet again. Yeah. Right. Because, you know, you, you can meet life. Door. It's never a one-time negotiation. You always meet again. Build up a professional way to negotiate. And I think it worked amazingly well. I mean, I, if, if you negotiate and somebody behaves like an ass, you know, you, you, you give him a bad grade. Uh, but I had once, I was screwed so intelligently and so charmingly well yeah. by my negotiation. I had to admire, I had to say, you know what? I mean, this was brilliantly done. I hope if, if I ever have to negotiate in real life, I hope this, this person is on my team. <laughs> so I gave him a good grade. And this was a lesson I learned for life. Uh, one of the best courses I still remember, I still remember uh, from the end because it reflects how the world really is. You meet people again and again. Don't screw around. Be professional. Be tough, but be professional. Be reasonable, and treat treat pe other people like you 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 want to be treated. Definitely, hundred percent. It's actually sometimes a small world, isn't it? Um, oh, it's, and it's, you always cross paths again. Um, you meet so, again. It's yeah, definitely. It's. <laughs> Therefore, so that, that was a, one of the most valuable lessons I took away from, yeah. from this MBA course. Yeah, Fantastic. I love that. It sounds really great. Um, so we love to finish the podcast with uh, what, what's on your agenda. What have you got that you're really excited about at the moment, Christoph? What are the plans for the business for the next 12 months? Um, to find out a little bit more about what exciting things you've got going on within the business, uh, personally and professionally. Well, I mean, I'm, I joined uh, I joined McMarker, which is a growth company. We're growing, mm -hmm. and I, I I joined the company because uh, I I like the team. I think the people are great there. Uh, uh, very very pragmatic, very purposeful driven, not political. I mean, working as a team, it's really the team. It's not individual stars. I really like their approach, digitizing an industry that this is a little bit old fashioned, at least in Germany. Yeah. Uh, uh, digitizing this, being data driven, not having opinions, trying to back things up with, with data, analyzing, using digital technology to make that market more efficient. So that's, that's, that's why I joined. And I think as always in such a, uh, in such a growing company, the, the major challenge is what not to do. 
right? There are many things we could do. Uh, the key question is always what to do and do it, uh, uh, do it, you know, from, from A to Z, do it from start to end mm -hmm. and drop other stuff. So focus is of essence and making the right decisions, what to invest into, uh, uh, given all the opportunities that we have to build our business. That's, that's a key challenge uh, that, uh, that every growth company has and that I, that I, uh, that I feel in my current role uh, as well. Then second, also manage, you know, expectations. Uh, building good products, this is what I learned in, in the past. If you want to real, build really a good product that is adopted by users or customers, that becomes real product, can be used and scaled, normally it takes two years. I mean, major products always takes mm -hmm. two years. I haven't seen them being, you know, after, after six months, nine months, you may have prototype, you have a version one, but, you know, uh, making a real product that serves multiple purposes to multiple customers and scales, it takes two years. So this is why it's so important to understand where you're heading, making the right, uh, making the right uh, decision on, on focus and getting, getting that, uh, uh, that on the ground. So that, that's what keeps me busy at McMarkler. And uh, the other interesting aspect is to be in a, in a startup type company uh, fast growing is I learn a lot of things that that when you when you're more in an established company uh, you have forgotten and I find it quite refreshing how pragmatic how many things are being now addressed and solved very different way than than uh, maybe a larger corporate corporate would address so so keep, keep being able to keep up with the pace that's something that <laughs> that is a personal challenge for me sometimes but I really really uh, uh, I really really enjoy it. So it's important that I think you said about sort of creating enough of a vision to have a focus for the team, but not, I think you mentioned initially before at the start of the podcast, not too much of a plan because things change. Yes. So, um, yeah, it's been fantastic having you on the podcast. I've loved hearing yep. your story. Really interesting background. So thanks so much for taking the time to speak to us today, Crystal. Very nice meeting you. Thank you for the opportunity Thank you. to speak with you. It's very interesting. If anyone's got any questions about what you said, is it best if they reach out to you on LinkedIn, Twitter? Yes, they can reach me on LinkedIn. I'm not so much on Twitter. Uh, I'm more no. consuming than actively participating. <laughs> uh, but LinkedIn is probably the best way to reach me. Perfect. It's been a pleasure having you on the show. Thanks so much, Crystal. Nice to meet you. Thank you. See you later. Bye. -bye. Bye. <laughs>